We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Fresh off of a plane, mm-hmm. rolling luggage through an airport. Do you sanitize the wheels on your luggage, like the handles, the wheels, Lord before Jesus. you bring all of that stuff? I'm just serious. I'm just asking. No, seriously. So you are rolling luggage through an airport. Yes. Like, I got a real rule in my crib. Like, I hate it when people wear their shoes in the house. Now, if it's a guest, I kind of, you know, give them a bit of reprieve. But, Jay, you know, you know what it's like to go into a bathroom. And in the men's bathroom, you're just standing oh. in. Whatever. So, like, I think about rolling my luggage through, you know, the airport, through the parking lot. I just think about that. So, like, do you wipe down your luggage, your wheels and stuff when you get back from a trip? Tor and I only wear shoes because society requires me to wear them. So, yeah, no, no, like that, no, I don't. Kind of like that, <laughs> that, that no shoes, no shirt type thing. You're you're one of those folks like you well, only no, put I'm it not, on because you have to. Well, not, not the shirt part, but just because I'm free. Yeah, germs I got don't you. scare me. Germs don't. Okay, got it. But I know you had a good time, and I'm so glad you got away. You, you listen. You talked about this a couple of months ago. You said, "Torn, I'm getting my vaccine, and I'm not letting the grass grow up under my feet. I'm moving." And you yep. have been on the move. Love oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're rolling out for the next couple of weeks too. Headed to Louisville this weekend to. Um, celebrate chad and cheese's joint birthday yeah uh, then headed to portland for uh the boo heads uh, high school graduation yeah I, yeah i don't plan on being here happy birthday chad cheese that yes. like that really is a thing like you can you can google chad cheese chad cheese and you'll find like an incredible podcast but for those of you who don't know their birthdays are a day apart so yes. happy birthday to chad cheese yes and and actually this uh, will roll out on their birthday, so it is their actual birthday. Well, well you know Chad's that's kind of like birthday. Well, Sorry. see, 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 <laughs> see. Here's the deal. Let me tell you what I just did. I just simply said happy birthday, and I do it out of the mind of of um, my days in the military and working in communications as a communications analyst, and uh, we were in like a top secret facility. So, like, literally, if people would call and say, "Well, we need to speak with Julie." Julie who like you needed to give the first and last name. We wouldn't just go and find a Julie because we felt like from a spy standpoint, people were trying to count the number of folks inside of our facility at any given point. And so that they would collect this data over time and they'd be able to say, well, there's 30 people in the room or in the building versus this time where there's 60 people and it's easier for us to break, you know, those types of things. So, I said happy birthday. I wouldn't reveal the actual days because <laughs> I don't like people to be able to check me when I'm moving. I like to be able to move a bit in silence. You understand what I'm saying? Well, that is not Chad or Cheese. So <laughs> they're not silent. Absolutely. Hey, no, no, indeed. But welcome back. I'm glad you are back and I'm glad thank you had you. a good time. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you. 
Yeah. So look, we are not going to, I know it was yesterday, but we're not going to talk about the dismal showing of corporations around their pledges, their commitments, all of that furor of interest uh, that they had after George Floyd lost his life last year. Um, But I got, I do have to ask you one question. I'm not going to talk about it, but I saw a statistic that said, and this was over on TP Insights. It's a website called The Plug. Uh, You can find it at tpinsights.com. They put a database up and they said that there were $50 billion in commitments. Mm -hmm. I've seen a couple of numbers, but in this instance, $50 billion in commitments and that a company called uh, Creative Investment Research said that only $250 million or 0.5% of that had been spent. Why do you think that is, Jay? I mean, I, I if mean, you that, have an opinion. I, I, I get, I'm just like, I'm a little shell-shocked right now, right? Only $250 million? I mean, I think, I think it goes back to our pledges, right? I, we talk a big game. We talk a lot of shit. And then when it comes to actually putting that money out, it, maybe not even that we're not doing it as we didn't, mean that we are going to do it, but that we're not putting the resources and the effort behind making sure that that money gets allocated and used properly. And so it's, it's, again, it's like always something to talk about, but until you treat diversity as an imperative um, and that commitment as an imperative and there are resources to go with it, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to magically, you're not going to have, you know, all of these, um, firms come to you and and ask for this money and do all these things like you have to figure out where do these projects go and build that into your process right it's like it's a nice thing to do but it's not the imperative thing to do yet and that's why the money doesn't get spent yeah in part and you know some of the people that are on the corporate side you know they are protecting the reputation and the brand and and you know one of the things that they say uh julie is that well when we make these commitments whatever those commitments are it could be a million dollars it could be $5 million. Oftentimes that commitment is spread over a course of time that it's not just $1 million and here you go. And so I think, you know, I, I think if we were to go back and look at, you know, the $50 billion, however we got to that number, whatever that number is, I I think that we should, when I say we, I'm speaking to the people who work for these organizations. It has to be important to you that you hold your organization, your company accountable. This doesn't mean that I'm checking on you in a negative way through, you know, negative permission. It, It means simply that I love working here. I love being a representative of the brand of the organization. I love your commitment to the community or what you say is important, but I need to also hold you accountable. And so if you say you're going to do something for an audience, for a group, for community, then we need to make sure that you do that. And so I just really would love to see more organizations kind of pull through. So yeah. anyway, and you're so kind. I, y'all need to be held accountable. Your asses need to be held accountable. You're oh, like so, so much nicer than I am. Anyway, excellent point. I think something that we definitely want to keep an eye on um, because I think the multi-year point is a really good one. Um, but also huge thanks this last couple of weeks to our guest Andy DeDorsey of um, Arsenal Arsenal of Clean and Detroit Bus Company and Deanna Singh, who was our guest last week. 
just incredible work when we all need like that energy and that passion to keep going. I think they both did that for you and I. Um, and that reminded me, um, I wanted to ask Deanna, who is the better cook? Yeah, well, let me tell you, and you know why that's really funny, because for a person who hasn't listened, make sure you go to crazyintheking.com again, crazyintheking.com and catch the replay of Deanna's episode, Deanna Singh from Uplifting Impact. I'm not going to reveal it, but you have to listen. Yes. Deanna grew up in an immigrant and multi-generational, uh, not multi-generational, but a multi-ethnic family. and. I really, really, really enjoyed her sharing some of the stories. I appreciated, even though I, I won't, I won't say I was emotional, but there was a piece of what she said that troubled me, because there was that that moment where she wasn't confident in showing up, that she struggled, didn't know how to necessarily fit in. She yeah. also told a story about how one parent had to go up to the school versus another parent. Things that straight white listeners may not have had to experience in their growing up. And, 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 and for me, it was, it, it's just one of those episodes where I would love for you to catch a listen. And we're going to actually be posting a link towards um, uh, regarding an event that Deanna and her team are doing uh, in October of this year, if I'm not mistaken, it's a, um, incredible three-day event. It sounds amazing. And we're going to be actually posting an event. So you're right. I really, really, really appreciated having both Andy and Deanna. We got to do more guests. Oh, we've got some big ones coming up. We've yeah. got some big ones coming up. I've got uh, three, I think, that we're getting lined up. I'm not telling. There's no telling. No okay. telling. Okay. But if you want to find out some more from Deanna, you want to hear some more about these guests that we have coming up, um, follow us on IG Live or not IG Live, but just Instagram um, now because we're going to start putting video snippets out every week, previewing our guests. Lots of really good stuff to come from us on Instagram. Absolutely. So I saw the story uh, this week. Jeremy Khan over at Fortune wrote a digital op-ed a summary. It was in a newsletter. I don't know if it's really called a digital op-ed. That's it's just what I called it. Works for me. Um, cool. It was around ethical AI. Um, and what he said in there, which really grabbed me, he said, what's clear is that for AI to truly live up to its potential, the ability to learn from larger, more diverse data sets without compromising privacy or violating rules about data handling will be essential. More diverse data sets are necessary. And so when I started to think about that, I started to think about, you know, how I've been speaking this year and, you know, my uh, signature presentation is less allyship, more action. Inside of that, I talk about the book, The Uncounted by Alex Cobham. And Alex asks two pressing questions in that book. He says, who are you and how do you want to be counted? Now, on the surface, it just seems like two questions, but they are so incredibly important yeah. because who are you in a restaurant or who are you in the, the, the Department of Motor Vehicles or who are you in the penal system, financial system, grocery stores, community, in your workplace? You, you get the point. And so. It brought me to, of course, thinking about 
people with disabilities. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Jay, you know, one thing that has really, really, really hit me um, in terms of a, a, a consideration, something that I've given a lot more thought to in the last 18 to 24 months, and it's all as a result of you. This is no exaggeration. I'd always say prior to you, and I've said this before, when we referenced black people and we thought about work, one of the things that we would say in our community is last hired, first fired. Over the last 18 months, listening to you, reading, researching, I'm learning more and more and more how the disability community is treated even worse in some instances than black communities. And so it made me think about, well, how much data are we getting from people with disabilities in that right. community as it relates to ethical AI? Yeah. And, and I'm so, I am so happy this conversation is finally starting to bubble up because I've been at TA tech conferences for the past three years. And every time I meet someone who says, oh, we have machine learning. Oh, we have AI. Oh, we have this. And I'm like, okay, what about us? What about us? What about us? And they all look at me with that, like glazed over who the hell is this lady? I wish she'd go away. Look, because they haven't thought about it, right? It's it's not a tech challenge that they've even started to incorporate into their thoughts. I mean, let's be honest, three years ago, they weren't talking about diversity at AI very well or at all. So we're seeing the conversation mature, right? There, there is a, I think, a faster maturation rate around DNI and tech than we've ever seen. And hopefully that just continues to scale. Um, and, and one of the biggest challenges with disability in, in all of this is one, we're not collecting that data enough, right? So if we don't have the diverse data set that includes people with disabilities in a way that you can identify in your algorithm, then it's not gonna work. Now the people with disabilities are already in there, right? So what well, well, stop stop right there for just a second. When you say the people with disabilities is already in there, what does that mean? Yeah. So that means that just because you haven't collected the check the box that says I am a person with a disability, we're still in all of your data sets. But how are we being affected okay. um, positively or negatively? Right. By what your AI is doing without that underlying piece of information that makes the AI work better. Got um, it. And I love like the um, and I, and I always have a lot of caution around AI because I think that machines are much faster and much smarter than we are, and I think oftentimes they start with garbage data, uh, whether that's disability or not. And so, as long as sort of the human element of what success or what failure is determine or who determines that AI always is going to have some internal bias. But I think as the data gets more diverse and we get smarter um, about how we look at populations, right? It's not just uh, black people or disabled people. It's uh, black disabled women, right? That's where the, the, the real challenges happen. That's where the real opportunities lie and because we haven't thought collectively as as a diverse community about how to support each other in that intersectional way, the data hasn't started to think about that yet either. And so this is like 
the train is moving, but we have to kind of keep that check in place. And then we need to make sure that we're even further pushing that maturation process in the bias, right? The check when you clean out your bias and making sure that your AI is not getting you into even more bias. Um, but also what are those correlations that we haven't looked for before that the that the data can actually give us in a faster way than we can as as human calculators. So, you know, if I was to jump in and ask a question of you, which I'm about to do, <laughs> when you think about the HR tech stack, if you could just pull one piece of software, mm-hmm. what's the one piece you'd want us to focus on first? Make sure that that is right. And then we build around that. For, for you, what would that one piece be? Um, I think for me, the one piece would be assessments. I think assessments cause more bias and discrimination than any other piece of our tech stack. And I don't care how, what your, your assessment is based on. I don't care about the validation. I have not seen a piece of assessment technology that can truly account for different types of disabilities and the different journeys that our lives take us on, period. And so we at Disability Solutions, we recommend removing assessments from your tech stack, period. Um, And we've had some companies that have seen that bias even play out in other diversity communities that have taken our guidance and said, yeah, we're, we're getting rid of our assessment process. I think that would be the number one piece. And I'm not saying that they can't be valuable, but at this point, I haven't seen ones that don't do more damage than good. Very interesting. I, I did not see that coming. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So for me, I feel like, I want to get to the heart of the uh, scenario and Mm -hmm. I want to know who's with me. And so in your illustration, you're right. That black disabled woman, Christian, socioeconomic status, academic, whatever. Yep. Those dimensions, she's there. Yeah. I want to see the HRIS system from the very beginning onboarding. When she is entered into our system, we capture all of that. Yeah. And I also, you know, I know it's a struggle because we can't mandate a person to reveal that information to self-identify. Um, it makes it a bit of a challenge to catch some of the layers that we are referring to right now. But I would absolutely, absolutely, I'd be that person that's in favor. I'd be the person in favor of saying this is mandatory. Absolutely Thank like G- GDPR over in Europe. Mm-hmm. Listen, when you join an organization. We need all of this identifying information right here. Yep. You got to respond to it because we want to make sure that we we have you in a way that we can parse your uh, presence, yeah. your persona, and, and create the engagement that you absolutely deserve in this organization. I'm a fan of that. I would absolutely love to see that mandated that people have to reveal that information. Yeah, I agree. And But it, uh, one thing that I think is interesting, because I'm 100% in your camp here, um, is that some of the companies that uh, we're working with right now, we're doing like year-long video um, 
self-disclosure, self-identification campaigns that are really storytelling campaigns. And we're seeing remarkable jumps in the numbers that people um, are going into those HRIS systems and making that distinction, whether it's LGBTQ, veterans, disability, whatever, um, because they feel like, A, they're comfortable doing it, B, they're we're showing them exactly how to do it, right? So we're taking away some of these common barriers and that people are actually a lot more comfortable doing it when we're creating that situation where they have that awareness, they have that support network within the organization that it's okay to say who you are, this is how we're protecting your data. And so I think honestly that there's going to there's a lot less pushback than like the legal teams are always worried about about collecting that data about getting um employees to participate and it gives us such a wealth of knowledge that we otherwise will never ever have i mean well just think about it you know again we 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 throw this phrase around um employee engagement or mm-hmm. From a non-employee standpoint, we'll talk about customer experience. Like imagine if you called into your credit card company that you you do business with, auto payment, and they knew a little bit more about who you are, how you enjoy the experience, how you typically use your 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 credit card. Off note, off note. <laughs> I actually saw a, a, an ad on Twitter, and I can't remember. Actually, it was Instagram, and it was saying that you know a lot of banks are moving to an online scenario. They're, you know, trying to implement some of these FinTech initiatives and doing away with brick and mortar locations, but that a lot of them are going to fail because all they're doing is taking that offline or that brick and mortar approach. And they're trying to throw it on top of some technology, the very same way that a lot of conference organizers last year took their in-person event and tried to throw it on one of these platforms and thought people were going to sit in front of screens for, you know, 12 hours a day. It was like incredibly crazy. Like I broke that, like folks started calling me Jay and and they were, you know, torn. We want you to speak. I said, 30 minutes is the max. Mm-hmm. There's only so long. Yeah, I'm, I, my preference is 20, but 30 minutes is the max. And, there, you know, in the beginning, it was like, why? But towards the end of the year, folks started catching on. And I'm not saying it was because of me. I'm just saying I didn't have to really tell people that I'm only doing 30 minutes. Like, it, it absolutely is, is important. So I really feel like if we care about employee engagement, candidate experience, if we did more to build the collection of that data in, um, and like you said, I love that, protect people, show them how their data is going to be protected. Mm-hmm. I, I think people will be more, much more willing to just simply say, look, this is what it is. This is who I am. And let yeah. me give you all the dimensions of who I am that I can even think of. But let me see what you're going to do with it. Like, it's almost, mm-hmm. for me, it's like a challenge. Like, it's almost like, <laughs> I'm going to give all this to you. Show me what you got. Yeah. You know, like, hit show me, me what you got. Yep. Hit me with it. Hit me with it. Love yeah, it. Yeah, I love it. Um, so we got a report that we're going to actually tweet out um, a couple of times today. I know uh, Julie's going to do it from her account. I'll do it from my account. And, you know, hopefully as you are listening to, um, you know, listening to this particular podcast, you'll go out and or episode, you go out and find the report from Accenture. It's titled AI for Disability Inclusion. Again, AI for Disability Inclusion. It was done by Accenture. Really, it came out like in the last couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. But it's a pretty 
deep 39, 40 page report. It's a very good read. Yes. Absolutely. All right, cool. So real quick, um, I know it's not the correct one, but I can still do it. This is what Simone Biles said of her first competition uh, attempting to do this move. It's a move called the Yurchenko Double Pike. Now, if you have not seen this video moving around Twitter and Instagram or on YouTube, uh, Simone Biles last weekend did the Yurchenko Double Pike, which is typically a, uh, a move that men gymnasts do, not women. Yep. So here's what she said. So why not just show off my ability and athleticism? She landed a perfect 10. Yes. A and perfect I watched about 10, 10. Did you see that? Did you it see was, it? Oh, it was, yes, it was beautiful. beautiful. Let me tell you something. I, I don't have slow motion like on my iPhone, but I was watching it on iPhone. So the only thing I could do was just take it back and roll it back a second because I said, I just I need to see how she hit the horse. Mm-hmm. And then began the flipping process. I couldn't move it slow enough. It was absolutely yeah. incredible. Beautiful. Beautiful thing. Uh, so a quick ad from Jobvite. And then we'll get into this week's show. Really quick before Torin and I hop back into the episode. Have you heard about the new Jobvite? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next-gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. All right, welcome back. So um, let's talk about facial recognition technology tour. You're one of your favorite companies in the <laughs> entire world. Like you absolutely love talking about Amazon and they extended their moratorium on selling facial recognition to law enforcement. Let me tell you something. Um, after all we experienced in the last, let's say five, 10 years, certainly longer, but this conversation around facial recognition, around law enforcement, being prudent in how they and responsible, being responsible in how they use this technology. I was actually happy that uh, Amazon said, you know what? We're going to pump the brakes on this. We're going to still hold back for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think these are these are the the big macro or the big news grabbing type of headlines that we talk about when we're thinking about facial recognition and and emotion tracking and all of those kind of things. But, you know, remember, God, sometime last year, maybe 2019 at this point, uh, we talked about uh, facial recognition being used in HRAS systems, in um, video interviews, which not facial recognition, but emotion, biometric tracking. Um, And I think that those become the more micro examples 
of discrimination are high in your practices. And so when we're thinking about it, this huge level, like, no, Amazon should not sell their facial recognition tech to law enforcement. No, right. I agree with, with Nathan Freed that, um, federal and state governments should ban that type of, of technology and law enforcement. It, it doesn't stop there. And I think that like one thing that we've learned from George Floyd is that dealing, you know, starting to deal with the, the big macro story or the big mega story is probably a better way to say it should only be opening our eyes to the systemic stories that still carry so much weight but don't get the attention that they need. I think this is a, a really important topic for our community going forward. Yeah. And again, it just goes back and ties perfectly into, you know, the story that we talked about just before the break around the data set and yep. where we are collecting this data. And I think that, you know, organizations like Amazon and others that are building these types of technologies, it should be incumbent upon them. It should absolutely be a responsibility. Like, look, we should be pulling people from, like, I got to I got I to gotta think, I got to believe that there's some chart out here. We can go to Google. We can go to something. It lists all of the countries in the on, on the globe. It lists all of the places where people where people live. I'm, I mean, there is something that is very comprehensive that that says if we if we at least make and come on now, we're thinking about Amazon. We're not talking about Torrin and his small, tiny startup. We're talking about Amazon. I should be able to, or Amazon should be able to, to, I mean, adequately pull the data necessary to say that it is going to be extremely hard for you to refute that we have not poured into the system. Yes. A solid collection of data. Yeah. From, as we would say, all four points or four corners of the globe. I think that's the saying, mm. all four corners of the globe. And and until they do that, then I think you're, you're right. Nathan Freed from the Civil Liberties Union, I think you're right. No, we're not selling it to law enforcement. And quite frankly, we're not going to sell it to a lot of people. You know, yeah. it's, it's a not especially when it can be used in ways that are. They are life impacting. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about the story of the guy. Uh, I can't remember his name and I'm not going to just say one, but just two weeks, three weeks ago, it came out that, you know, a state put a guy to, to death. And this is no surprise. Yeah. Put him to death and he's not even the right guy. Yeah. And they got his DNA off the whip and, or someone else's DNA off the whip and after he passed. And I think that's the brilliance of what you just said, Torn, is that. You know, Amazon just bought MGM today, right? Just got released. Um, Amazon can figure out every single data purchase, social, everything else that gets the perfect ad in front of us. I think there's an argument to be made that if they wanted to do this correctly, they would do it correctly and not perfectly, but correctly. And so is this something that just was kind of a, yeah, we think it's right. It's good enough. Um, let's sell it and let's roll um, versus, you know, monetizing every other piece of information and data that they have about us. I, I think that's 
just was like a big aha moment for me just then when you said that. Absolutely. No, I just think that they can do better and we just have to force them to do better. And I'm glad people like Nathan Freed and so many others are out there. And I don't want it to just be a decision based off of the events of 2020 and you're pulling back because George Floyd lost his life. I want you pulling back responsibly and saying, listen, when we bring this thing out, we're going to bring it out in a way that's beautiful. Speaking of bringing something out beautifully, look at Apple. What'd they do? Yes. So um, thanks to, again, I, uh, who I'm now deeming. I don't know. I haven't told you this before, but uh, Matt Stubbs, I'm calling him our oh, yeah. um, Crazy in the King story ninja because that guy, my oh. God, he can find a story. Oh, I yeah. love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so later this year, Apple is rolling out a ton of new software updates um, really focused on improving accessibility and usability of not just the iPhone, not just the iPad, but multiple um, devices across their platforms. Um, And and I love this in the press release that they just put out says these next generation technologies showcase Apple's belief that accessibility is a human right and advance the company's long history of delivering industry-leading features that make Apple products customizable for all users. Pause, Um, pause, pause. Pausing. Pause. I wish I had like a gavel or a bell. I got a candle. Here's the reason why. Because I'm I'm looking at what you, you dropped in the show notes, and I can guarantee you assistive touch, eye tracking, voiceover images, bi-directional hearing aids, and, and every, I can guarantee you able-bodied individuals are going to eat these technology. Exactly. That, that's Love. the cause. They're going to absolutely eat up these developments. And you say it over and over and over again. When we do it right for people with disabilities, we do it better for everyone else. Oh, hell yes. I, I thought there are multiple TikTok accounts that I follow that show me how to it. And it's an accessibility hack, right? They call it, but it makes my Apple watch, my iPhone, whatever it is, um, more effective and more user friendly for me as as an able body users. Yeah. Kick ass. Love yeah. it. You Thank know you what? Apple. You know what we got to do? No, let me tell you. No, forget Apple. We got to get Matt on the show. We we oh, should, oh. you know what? We should actually reach out. We got to get Matt to be like our, maybe he can, I don't know, let's figure something out, but let's, let's, like let's see if we can get him to, to, to maybe dial in, you know, once a month, you know, he's found some stories, maybe talk about them from his perspective, because, you know, at least for the last year or so, he has always consistently tagged us. He's you know, shared stories with us. I, I, I really, 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 and plus it'd be cool to, you know, just have that, that, that flavor and that perspective from across the pond, you know, from over in, in Europe, you know, giving it to us the way, because let me tell you, man, they approach a lot of this stuff far differently than we do. Like, like the way that they, so many of those countries, I remember when we talked to Kay Fabella and so many others over in Europe, the way that they treat, COVID, the way that they treat data, a little bit different than the way that we get busy over here. A little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I would love that. He'd be like our man on the street or a research ninja. I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, we're, we're working on that. <laughs> hey, Matt, we're working on it. If you got some ideas, hit us on uh, DM, and we absolutely, absolutely appreciate you. So, listen, I got, like, one story before we get out of here. This is a quick one. I don't even really know if I can talk about this one intelligently, but it sounds like some folks over in France are having an issue with the letter E. You know, like E for Ellis. Like okay. E as in J-U-L-I-E for Julie. They're having an issue with the letter E. And so in this <laughs> okay. article, it says that the education minister's decree targets what is arguably the most contested and politicized letter in the French language. They say that the letter E is the language's feminine letter used in feminine nouns adjectives, and sometimes when conjugating verbs. So okay. I'm not going to go into all of this because it can get a little bit dirty and dicey, if you will. And when <laughs> I say dirty, it's like taking you down an English lit rabbit hole, and I'm not an English lit major. So I'm just wondering, like, why are we arguing over using the letter E? Like, they gave an example. They want to spell a word. I can't even talk about Like, I can't even... <laughs> It's like, and so this is what, this is the reason why I put the story up. Okay. Are we being too sensitive? And when I think about a conversation that I had with Adi Barreto, and, and they explained to me the troublesome use of Latin X. Mm-hmm. And that if we really wanted to be proper, Adi said that we would say Latin, L-A-T-I-N-E, or Latina, L-A-T-I-N-A. Mm-hmm. And so I've consciously worked hard. At least that was my understanding of my conversation with Adi. And if I got it wrong, well, I'll absolutely apologize. But I've consciously tried not to say Latinx. And to say Latin, Latina, when I am referring to that audience. And I just ask, are we being, I don't, sensitive is not the right word, Jay. Are we complicating things in a way that they just don't need to be complicated? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you've said it well, plenty of times is, is sometimes we lose the forest for the trees. And I think we have to spring a little bit further than we need to go to get to the to the place where we need to land. Um, but yeah, that those are conversations that are tough to have because you don't want to feel like you're devaluing or or dismissing anyone. And I know uh, of all people, you are not. Uh, but I think that there are sometimes more serious conversations that need to be had that get lost in these super super nuanced. Um, it, descriptors, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you can find it. Um, it's in the AP. It was actually dated May 8th. It's in the French language, Steps Forward and Back for Women. Again, the article is titled, In the French Language, Steps Forward and Back for Women, dated May 8th, 2021, over on the AP. You have any quick mentions? 
Um, no quick mentions for me, just a name drop and we're ready. How about you? All right. I have two quick ones. Via Consulting is hosting a webinar on equitable return to the workplace on June 16th. For more information, uh, hit up Nicole Sanchez. You can find her on Twitter at NM Sanchez, N as in Nancy, M as in Mary Sanchez on Twitter. And then uh, my second mention, research shows that U.S. Hispanics hold $1.5 trillion in buying power annually and that their economic clout continues to grow. There's actually going to be a great uh, webinar about some of the buying power in ways that we can get the messaging to uh, the Latino community. Uh, so you can find more information on that uh, at philanthropy on Twitter, the word nice. at philanthropy. Uh, it's a great, great newsletter. If you are following and or involved in the nonprofit space, who's your name drop? Um, so just to follow up on the AI conversation, the Kessler Foundation, which is a, a phenomenal research um, advocacy and, and just all around um, supportive organization for people with disabilities has been to first a conversation in in our community about AI's impact on people with disabilities, especially around job seekers. Um, so if you're not following them, I would definitely recommend that you're going to get an entirely different perspective um, on how AI impacts people with disabilities. And my dear friend, Felicia Hatcher, uh, she joined Black Ambition. Uh, Black Ambition is something started by Pharrell, Williams, um, that Pharrell, the one from the Neptunes, the music guy, he's actually doing some things around funding overlooked black uh, and Latin black and brown uh, founders. And I am extremely, extremely happy for Felicia. Felicia and her husband started something called uh, Black Tech Week down in Miami. And then they created the uh, the tribe and they changed it from Black Tech Week to the Center for Black um, innovation, I think it is community center for black innovation, something like that. But she has, um, you know, joined the black ambition team. You can find them on Twitter at black ambition. Felicia is doing her thing. Nice. Um, so, and, and as we wrap up, uh, this is our last show in May. So wrapping up mental health awareness month. And I just want to remind every single one of you to keep your eyes clearly on the prize of accessible, engaging and emotionally healthy work environments um, for yourselves, um, for your staffs and for the people that you care about in your life. And I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice, be a better human. Let's create better culture, better teams and better workplaces. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.